Hey everyone, this is David from the Principal's Desk. Thanks for joining us for another Principal's Desk podcast. I am joined today uh, by Curtis Houston, and I am so excited here to uh, to talk about his journey, to get all of you to hear about his journey. Uh, Curtis is the lead leader and co-founder of Jigsaw Learning. Um, he's done professional development around the, the whole notion of collaborative structures in schools now for, for many, many years here, but uh, uh, just really excited to hear about, Curtis, your journey and uh, just your work in that collaborative space here. So thanks for joining the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, David. It's great to be here and glad that you're uh, feeling better. I had a chance to listen to your first ever podcast and you had said off the start of, okay, I've drugged myself into this. Thank goodness it's online and yeah, yeah. a little bit. So I'm glad you're, you're feeling you. better, my friend. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, I got what everyone else has, it seems yeah. like, and I couldn't talk for a couple of days. And I had that first one scheduled, I didn't want to cancel. Um, <laughs> and it was a tough go for me. But, uh, it, it, you know, uh, you know, educators, we all we work sick, you know, that's yeah. something normal, you know, that we, we always do. I remember being in the classroom and just like, I'm popping, you know, uh, a Tylenol just to get through the day. Because uh, when you take a day off, it turns into two days of extra work for you when you're a teacher. That's and right. so, uh, you know, we, we do what we do. But uh, yeah, thank you. Um, but you know what? The, the cool thing about this is uh, I can now say that the Principal's Desk podcast has now gone international because there you are from you are from Canada and, uh, you know, in between uh, Calgary and Edmonton. And so the Principal's Desk now is, is an international podcast. I'm super excited about that. <laughs> Uh, so I can say that and I'll be posting that just everywhere because it's exciting to me. Um, but, uh, you know, why don't you give our listeners um, uh, just a little bit of background on yourself? How did sure. you get here to Jigsaw Learning and uh, like wh how, what got you into this collaborative space world? Well, yeah, absolutely, David. And as I was sharing with us with you the other day when we had a chance to connect, it's been a little bit of an unplanned and organic journey uh, to get to this point, as most times it is. Uh, this is 26th year in education, and I moved into an administrative role quite early in my career. I'd only been teaching about a year and a half before uh, an opportunity came up. I got uh, somewhat... Um, selected or <laughs> uh, mildly pushed into a <laughs> opportunity to move into an assistant principalship. It was in a school where they were trying to train an emerging leader uh, crew within the school division. So uh, came into the administrative role and spent about a dozen years in so, administration. Uh, yeah. hold, hold, wait a minute, wait a minute. A year and a half? Yeah. That's, I mean, I, so I was a teacher for five years before I kind of got pushed as well here. Yeah. I've never, that is the fastest transition from teacher to, you know, administrator I have ever heard. And what's funny uh, is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of literature out there and people talking like, oh, you know, need more time in the classroom, you know, in order yeah. to, to 
be a, a great administrator. And it's very individualized to me. And so, I mean, look at yourself. I mean, you said, just said, you know, you went from that transition, you spent a dozen years or so, you know, in school leadership and now doing the work that you do. So, you know, it has to do more about the person, you know, and, and just the, you know, the work that we do rather than I think time limits. I think we do the same thing with kids too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these time structures for kids that don't really make sense, but uh, I just had to like note that a, a year and a <laughs> half is incredible, but, but go on, go on. I, yeah. I interrupted you. Go on. Well, it was a really steep learning curve moving into that. And it was readily apparent right off the bat that you couldn't lean on, you know, traditional power hierarchies in regards to administration. The, the experience differential was very unbalanced. So you had to find a way to really work with people. And so that whole notion of collaborative leadership, um, came a really natural because I, I believe in it firmly that the power of the room is greater than any one individual, but it was a learned necessity uh, at the start because you were working with um, teachers within schools that had significantly more experience than my uh, second principalship that I walked into where this collaborative response work really took hold. Um, I was the second youngest person in the building. So Again, yeah. you, you recognize that you have, in that case, centuries of teaching experience mm -hmm. around you, and how do you leverage that effectively uh, is so important, and uh, I firmly believe the way you do that is through really clear structures and processes so mm -hmm. that you, you maximize that experience around you. So um, from those administrative roles, had an opportunity to work within uh, university and working with pre-service teachers, which was amazing. And approximately six years ago, took this leap from work that we were doing in our previous school that I assume we'll, we'll talk about a little bit here in, in uh, a bit, um, where people began in, became interested in what was happening and could you explain it to mm. others? So while I was at the university, the, the role allowed a certain amount of freedom in being able to engage with schools or district authorities um, around the work that we had really started in my school previously. And approximately five or six years ago, it just became overwhelming. I couldn't keep up with the amount of demand for this collaborative response work and set out my wife and I um, in, in our organization, Jigsaw Learning, to just work full-time with schools and districts here within our own province to begin with of Alberta, Canada, and then um, branching out across our country, across the U.S., Iceland, Australia. And yeah, I get to do this full-time now. It's oh, amazing. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, well, congratulations. Yeah, really now that sounds, sounds great. Um, and it's funny, we've had similar paths where, where I was the principal of a school where I had some very veteran teachers amazing teachers veteran teachers yeah, same thing who asked me how old i was and when i told them they said oh my son's your age you guys yeah. could be friends <laughs> and like, and thank you it was funny because i was like okay and it took a while to earn their trust because i gotta look at from their perspectives i'll go like who's this young kid walking in who thinks they're yeah, you know exactly. they have something to say and there's something to be said for that. My mom was a teacher for 34 years. And so, and my mom and I would get into uh, disagreements, if you will, just about education in general. And then I could tell like in the back of her mind, she's going, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I raised him like, like, yeah. <laughs> 
I changed his you diaper. You can fake it's it like, with a lot of people. What's he but... telling me? Yeah. yeah. You can't fake it with your mother, really. <laughs> and fake it with your mom. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, but uh, yeah, similar similar backgrounds. And I also got more, you know, into that whole collaborative teams work um, that, that you're now doing full time here. So I want to hear more about, about this because I think that yourself and Jigsaw Learning has kind of an interesting take on uh, how to make uh, schools just run better, run smoother, be more productive mm-hmm. here. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to kind of get your take on here is uh, this notion of layering team meetings. And yeah. you know, a lot of times we talk about, oh, we have our grade level team meeting and we have our department meeting and they're very almost like independent of everyone else here. But um, tell me like what, what when you talk about like layering these team meetings, what does that mean to you? How can that yeah. benefit schools? So when we had first started this work, again, it was with the notion that how do we support all students, not just most, which was what was happening within the school. And again, not to the, not to discredit any of the amazing professionals, like we had great teachers and great staff within the building, but structurally, we were not set up to ensure success for all. It just, it, we, we all said we wanted success for all kids, but we weren't structured Mm. to be able to do that really well and so we began this work of what um what we came to refer to as a collaborative team meeting and I'll talk about that in a little bit and as we started to experience and engage in that work and then started to share that structure with other schools of course your thinking evolves and then a number of years as as we move forward within the work we would see schools that were replicating the structures with really strong fidelity, but not having the same success. And we were trying to think, well, what's going on? Why isn't this collaborative team meeting having the same success in their school that it was having within ours? And we realized at that point that we hadn't given credence to the other layers of team that were around it. And that whole notion of layering teams became an aha moment of, oh my goodness, it's because we had these other elements that made this Mm -hmm. one really effective. So when we think about the layering of teams, we now have come to understand that essentially, I would argue every school needs four layers. And it doesn't matter to me whether you're a school of 40 students or 4,000. Um, the same four layers apply, recognizing that, of course, in larger schools, it's going to play out in multiple versions within these four buckets, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so we, within collaborative response, in time, we align these to a continuum of supports that has four tiers. And I can talk in a little bit why four instead of three. It's not about adding one more. It's about taking that universal tier and breaking it apart. But when we think about those four layers, the first layer is collaborative planning. And whether that's happening within grade level teams, within departments, um, we know from the work of Andy Hargraves and all of his associates that we can't debate the value of teacher collaboration anymore. Like it's, he, he talks about, it's Absolutely. not a question of why, it's how. We should be talking about how teachers collaborate, not should they, we're past that point. And so the idea of collaborative planning is essentially, and and you know this, David, any schools that are engaging in PLC-like work, they can look at the collaborative planning layer and say, okay, that makes sense. We've got that. 
And again, within your school, if that's happening on a weekly basis, bi-weekly, um, release days, if you have in place, the collaborative planning layer is teachers working together. Now, again, it may not be focusing on individual students. It may be looking at trend data. It may be, you know, we're setting a department goal that we're working towards. Um, usually the conversation about individual students is less intensive at that layer, but the conversation about instruction is very intensive. That, that is the place where we're talking about pedagogy and instruction to the utmost. The second layer becomes the collaborative team meeting. And I'm going to come back to that because I think it deserves its own bit of a conversation here because it's very, very unique. Um, it looks like we're talking about kids, but really you're not. But so I'll come back to that. The third layer, and again, it, it's not unusual to schools. Uh, this third layer, we call it a school support team, uh, but we've had, had other schools that call it their learning services team or their intervention team or um, their special education team. Essentially, this team that meets on a regular basis to determine who are the students needing supports beyond the classroom. Uh, within my own school, it involved myself as principal, our assistant principal, we had a learning support teacher, and then we had a family school um, liaison worker that we shared with the high school. The four of us every week would meet on Thursday morning and on our agenda was typically two to five kids that we knew needed further supports. And mm -hmm. the conversation was about how do we support the classroom teacher, maybe it's about putting in referrals, who do we need to uh, engage for external support or right. agencies that we need to be able to get in touch with that's that third layer and then the fourth layer we use a blanket term of case consults but really it's about anytime you have one student on your agenda and the participation is dependent on that particular student situation so i mean that case consult could be a transition meeting that we have about one child and it involves the parent it could involve the the learner themselves. Another student, it's a crisis management meeting and we bring in um, social services as part of the conversation. So those four layers we find are critical and it really helps us actualize the idea of every child deserving a team. Um, now we, we know we can't do that on a one child at a, at a one child at a time kind of perspective. I, I mean, it's, you can't do that. It's, you have a right. school of, I don't care if you have 50 <laughs> or 4,000, you can't build a team for every child. But no. through this layering of teams, you can ensure that that you are building up so that no one person is responsible for the success of any mm -hmm. individual. It's it's a full team approach. Yeah, no, it, it sounds, um, a lot of what you're saying actually sounds very similar to the work uh, I know that I engaged in when I was a principal. Mm -hmm. um, but not to the alignments that yeah. you are speaking to. And I think that's really where um, the magic happens. Cause I, you know, your level three tier, you know, it sounds like we call them care team meetings. And so yeah. we had about four or five kids every week. I used to get together with my, um, my resource teacher, my speech pathologist, my, I had a resource yeah. aide, um, kind of anyone else I could pull in for a lunch meeting, I would grab. And yeah, um, yeah we had about four or five, uh, but like, as I look back on it, the connecting it to say the tier below, the tier above it really wasn't 
wasn't there. It was much more almost like triage than anything else. Like, yeah. you know, um, and uh, we never got to where, you know, I guess the level that you're explaining, which sounds a lot more succinct, a lot more um, solutions focused, kind of going from that macro to the micro. Um, yeah. Like I said, not all kids need, you know, a specific like team around each child. That's also not feasible, but every kid is going to benefit from the structure. Um, because again, you're talking about tier one, you're talking about instruction, um, yeah. you know, and uh, that's where most of your kids are going to fall. It's like, let's give them the best first instruction so that the vast majority of them will be successful. Then we also, then we need to go down and start filtering and targeting kids that need something else and then bringing the exactly. right people around them too. But yeah. focusing on those, on those solutions, having an action plan behind it, I think is super important. Um, it sounds like that's exactly what you're working with. Um, what kind of data do you use? How do you identify students that might need more supports? So what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I, I think it's interesting what you were saying there, David, around you know the triaging and additional supports. Um, and again, we didn't recognize it at the time until we've had a chance to reflect back, but us introducing that second layer of team, that collaborative team meeting was really a result of feeling overwhelmed at that school support team level. It, it, um, there were so many kids that were being referred to that even within a small school. And I don't believe it was to the fault of any teacher because it was just the way we were structured, but it sometimes felt like teachers saying, I've done everything. And in a lot of cases, they had, they were justified in saying that, but then they would say somebody else, somebody else now needs to take, and and we needed a mechanism to help build everybody's capacity just a little bit deeper. So to answer your question around the data, the, the data in time, and again, as we were working through, sometimes you don't always see it at the time, but we, we knew that we needed some consistent data sets um, that we could have across the school because at the time, every teacher was doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And again, overall strong practices, but we had no real measuring stick to say who should we be talking about. And so we come into these collaborative team meetings and I wanna come back and describe those in a little bit. And you'd have a teacher say, oh, I don't have anyone. Uh, No one is really a concern right now and as an administrator you would know that's not the case i just i know we didn't hadn't built yet that level of vulnerability that a person mm-hmm. could say i'm struggling with this and i don't know what to do and that's not only safe but expected within that meeting or you'd have somebody else say yeah i've got 25 students on my class list and here's 20 that yep. need I've additional yeah so bringing in universal screens within the school really helped that to be able to say, well, actually the data is saying we need to focus on this group or this particular student. So I've become a big proponent of don't ask the question yet of what screens should we be using? We should be backing up one level and saying, well, what's the priority that you're trying to impact within your school? Uh So when you say we've got a strong focus around literacy, Okay, well, then do you have a literacy screen that you can use across the school that just indicates who Mm -hmm. should we likely be paying attention to? Over COVID, we had a lot of schools that said, you know, our focus right now, our priority is wellness, student wellness. Well, okay, what are you utilizing as a screen for for wellness? And again, 
And sometimes there's commercially produced screeners that we can be utilizing. And I know there's a lot of great tools that we can access, but sometimes it's even the homegrown. We saw a lot of schools that created wellness screens that were just, you know, here's some dimensions that we're looking for. And we're just going to use a simple one, two, three rating scale on where we think kids yeah. are at. We saw a lot of kids or a lot of schools when it moved um, to totally online work where they said right now our priority is just getting kids connected to their their um, teacher and, and getting online. Okay, well, then a screen that we need to utilize is Wi-Fi access. Simple, simple Absolutely. ideas. But yeah, what, I, I, yeah, just real quick, you know, yeah. I found that uh, it's something you just said, I really agree with. I, and I've seen it in my own schools. And then I saw it, I see it in schools that I work with <clears throat> is um, reading your own screens. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, yes, it's easy. You can grab and pay, you know, and grab someone else's. But I have found that 100% time when that is created internally, well, yes, there is work associated with that. The yep. buy-in from the staff and your community is a thousand times higher um, because you're asking the questions you want to ask. And you also you created the language around the questions too. And that is so vital because that buy-in, you have to have teachers and staff members and parents really feel like this this screen's important. It's going to give us a lot yeah. of information. We're going to use that data. Sometimes when we just buy something from a company, it, it doesn't have that same type of impact. And so yeah. uh, I just Agreed. wanted to say that, mention that, uh, mention that too. Well, and I think too, uh, I'm a big proponent and work a ton with schools around capturing that information or collecting it through a screen, whether that's happening, you know, once, twice, three times uh, a year, however that sets up in your schedule. Um, collecting it's just one, but how you organize that data yeah. matters. Oh, yeah. And I've become a huge proponent around the idea of color coding that data and using just simple, simple metrics of something as simple as red, yellow, green, like that old traffic light type of idea where we can take that data and say, who's not yet meeting expectations. Okay. Let's color code that red who's approaching. Let's color code that yellow. And then who's meeting uh, green. And then I've worked with a number of schools where we even say, okay, well, who's exceeding based on that? Let's make them blue because we want to have an enrichment part of the conversation. But then that color coding becomes so critical in that second layer of team, the collaborative team meeting, because instead of saying, David, who's a student you want to talk about, we instead say, David, who's a student that the data says is yellow, a student who's close. Let's utilize that to start a conversation and when you say, but I want to talk about Curtis, he's, there's extreme challenges that we're experiencing. Well, the data is indicating he's red. That's actually a conversation already happening in one of our more intensive layers of team. We're already talking about Curtis at our school support team, or mm -hmm. we have case consults in relation to Curtis. Let's not bring him up in this collaborative team meeting conversation, that second layer. And so again, the data, and I am so glad that you asked to bring that forth, um, the color coding of that data really helps reinforce um, spaces where we can engage in conversations about a greater number of students rather right. than, I, I know you've had this experience of feeling like a small percentage of your student population start dominating the conversation. And it doesn't mean that we ignore those kids, of course, right. not, but 
but there's other students that we can also impact as well. Agree a hundred percent. It's funny you bring up the color coding because I used to do something very similar uh, pre a lot of this technology that we use now for these things. But I had a huge, I took an entire wall in our staff room and I yeah. made a data wall out of it. And I had my, my red cards, my yellow cards, my green cards, yeah, and beautiful. You know, same colors. And I used to spend hours moving cards, changing colors. It drove me nuts. But at the same time, we could see who we needed to focus in on, what Absolutely. conversations we needed to have. And I actually had it. It was in our staff room. And so teachers ate in that room. And so they had to look at it while they were eating lunch because it was right there. And, you know, it was just funny because I could tell over the course of the years that I was there that they started, again, this this, this collective responsibility for all the kids at the school. Yep. And all of a sudden a kid would move. And I know they'd be talking about like, oh, like David moved from yellow to green. How, how did that happen? And like, that's yeah. the conversation that we want to have or happen again, organically here. Um, but um, yeah, it's really, really funny. That data is so important. Um, tell us about um, these collaborative teams, this tier two, yeah. because I think that is like the special sauce that kind of the glue that connects everything else here. So I'm really interested to learn more about, uh, about that tier right there. It is. And you know, when, again, as I had shared with you previously, it, it happened organically that schools started to ask about what we were doing and we never had an intention of sharing it beyond what it was that we were trying to create but as you share it with schools they go oh my goodness this this could really impact what we're doing and it just kind of took on a life of its own we needed to give it language and referred to it as our collaborative response but a key component of it was the collaborative team meeting uh, that was really different and as i said in time, we reflected on and went, okay, well, that collaborative team meeting is actually more powerful when you consider the other layers. But the team meeting itself, what we were finding is we had grade level teams that were meeting uh, on a weekly basis using some very consistent PLC-like structures. And we, over time, had tightened that up. But sometimes we were finding that that level of team that that grade level team wasn't necessarily paying attention to individual students and that's that's not at the fault of the teachers it was the way we were structured they were creating goals and looking at overall data um, but then we would have students that would surface to our school support team and we go oh man if teacher a would only be doing this or boy if this person had this particular set of um, skills or resources that the person across the hall is utilizing, I don't think this kid would have reached this level of need. And so we needed to create a space where we could actually focus on individual students. And so essentially what we built was every fourth week of our cycle of collaborative planning, and we say to now schools, you know, every three to five weeks is when you should be looking at this collaborative team meeting where you're going to come together with students that you're going to be talking about. But we've learned over time that the process that you use is really important. So we now have that schools utilize a pre-meeting organizer where come ready with a student you want to celebrate and a student of concern and one that you want to challenge or enrich. And in time, we start to link that to the data. So essentially, we can say, come ready with a student to celebrate, a student who the data says is yellow, a student who the data says is green or blue? And then are there any additional students that are red that we need to refer up 
to our next layer of team. But when we come into that collaborative team meeting, then it's a very tight and focused process. So as a principal, I would often facilitate those conversations. And we'd start off with saying, who should we celebrate? And initially, the thought was, you start with celebrations just because it starts on a positive note. But I've learned over time that it's exactly what you said. The celebrations become the point where we can say, I'd like to celebrate this student who's had this success. And then we want to ask, so what did we do that led exactly. to that success? Yeah. Like that's that building of collective efficacy and people being able to articulate what are the practices I've put in place that I are making an impact. Others in the room hearing that becomes <laughs> beneficial. But again, just reinforcing the what we're doing makes an impact. So we take about the first 10 minutes of that team meeting to really focus in on that. Then we move into a discussion around key issues. And the process is really, really um, what makes this different than most conversations that schools are having around their learners. So this is what it looks like. I say I've brought Micah and my key issue is um, lacking background knowledge in regards to specific vocabulary terms that we're experiencing in the classroom, okay? So we might dig in just a little bit on why do you think that's happening? And it may be, you know, I think Micah just doesn't have, maybe there's an, um, I go back to your first podcast, uh, maybe there's some uh, English language learning sure. that we need to take into account, or maybe there's lack of, of background knowledge, whatever. We, we get down to what's a key issue that we're seeing for Micah, okay? So we determine that it is lacking background knowledge to understand key vocabulary terms for learning. Then we say, all right, for others in the room, who else has a student like that? And we name other students so that this becomes not a conversation about Micah and not a conversation about me as teacher, but rather a conversation around the key issue. And when we tag other students, it's basically reinforcing to the teacher that, hey, you're not the only one that's struggling with this, but it also makes it more of a universal conversation and then we turn and say, all right, so what could we do when students lack the background knowledge? And what we've done is we've essentially used the student to leverage a conversation about practice. Mm -hmm. But it's so important. I've seen some schools that shift and say, we don't bring students, we just bring key issues. But I think putting a face to it is critically important. And then it really matters when we get to the action. So we engage in a brainstorm. So David, what do you do in your classroom when students are lacking background knowledge? Here's what I do. Someone else in the room says, oh, that's a great idea. Here's, here's something else that I would do. Oh, I like that. What if we took that idea and went with this? Right. So it, it creates a space where we're just really exploring differentiated practice um, and opening everybody's toolbox. And it became a powerful way for two people who had taught across the hall for sometimes 20 years who didn't know that, oh, I didn't know you're utilizing that website. I didn't know you had that resource. Uh -huh. Ooh, that's a cool strategy. Um, I didn't know. And then we come back and say, all right, Curtis, from this conversation, what's one thing you want to try for Micah? And initially, when we first start in this, I might choose low-hanging fruit. I might say, well, I was planning to try this anyway, so put me down for this action. But what we see over time is people start stretching they start moving out of comfort zone. They start saying, you know, I like David's idea, but I need some, I don't know how to do that. 
David, can you and I chat afterwards? I need you to explain that a little further uh, to me. Or, you know, after the meeting, I'm going to go and touch base with this other person who I, I just need to pick their brain a little bit about what they said. So it becomes very solution focused and action oriented. But right. the idea is that you're bringing students who are close to where we want them to be, where it just subtle shifts in the classroom could be what leverages impact for them. And the idea is over time, by introducing this layer, we can ensure that Micah, that may be all that Micah needs is just some of that classroom support. And he may not then surface at some of our more intensive layers because the collaborative team meeting becomes essentially a, a space where we're building everybody's capacity just over and over. And our most effective collaborative team meetings, you see everybody walking out with two or three nuggets into their own personal toolboxes that they hadn't had before. Again, you're creating space where you're just talking about practice and it, it's culture changing. It um, changes a culture away from, you know, I'm venting about this student or I've done everything to, I wonder what else I, I could do. Like it, that, it's so funny, David, the conversation in that, even if it's only on a monthly basis, changes the informal collaboration that happens within the building substantially. And I think that point is so important um, because that's what I was kind of thinking about. And then you said it, it's the, yes, the, the formal meetings might, might be happening once a month, but it, yeah. what happens after the meeting uh, and before the next meeting, that's really where that collaborative work is is being done here and you're right you know their teachers rarely in the structures that that have been created for them for decades rarely get to see what's working in your classroom yeah and it might be literally 10 feet across the hall but just because of how schedules work it, we never get that opportunity to see what's working there because i would bring up all the time and i saw this in our data where a a child, a student would be getting, say, an A in one class and then be getting a D in another class. Yep. And that's that's a red flag because, yeah, there, there are times when kids just are not super strong in certain subjects, whatever it is, but we really don't see that type of spread within grades all that much here. And yeah. so it's like, well, what's working with you that's not working over here? And let's have that conversation. And something that I say all the time, let's be clinical, not critical. Uh, and that's how I look at the oh, data. Like let's that. not point fingers at teachers or kids or parents, but let's identify that there's an issue and then how are we going to work together to solve it? And I think the structure that you just laid out for us is, is something that, um, like I said, I think at the beginning of the podcast, schools are doing to a certain degree, but just not being super succinct with it, not aligning everything and not having it be a very clear structure. I think that's where you're going to see that amazing growth with kids, but also the conversations with the adults at the school around having the right conversations. That's what's going to change the culture of the school. And that's what we hear all the time, David, when we introduce this collaborative response work with schools or districts is you hear a lot of time people saying, you know, we had elements of this, but we hadn't right. connected it together. And um, that, that connection is so critical and the alignment so that people see how how do all these structures operate? And at first glance, you look and go, oh my goodness, that, there's a lot of meetings happening. Well, actually, <laughs> no, when you align it, well, you reduce the amount right. of reactive conversations or the, 
the the workroom conversation that happens here that oh my goodness we should have had two other people that should have been part of that conversation like it it just creates a way more succinct way of operating and and uh responding within a school well Curtis, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today, for sharing out your work uh, with these collaborative teams. Uh, if, if I'm listening and I want to learn more about your work or how to contact you, uh, and we'll put all this in the notes of the podcast, yeah. but um, what, uh, you know, where can folks go to learn more about what you do and, and possibly even you know connect with you about having you come and work at their school? Yeah, so our website is jigsawlearning.ca. And anyone can check that out. All of our contact information is there. And we have a ton of resources, samples, videos that are available through that. And we do have our new book, Collaborative Response, um, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of students. It, basically, the title is a whole chapter. We, we kind of got a little extensive on the uh, sub, subtitle yeah. of that. Uh, it's available through Corwin as well. and. Yeah, really excited to be able to share that that piece of work with with schools as well. So yeah. I, I would say that's the best way to be able to get a hold. Um, you people can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, all the regular uh, social media platforms as well. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you again so much. We'll put all those links and contact information in the notes of this podcast if you want to uh, check out again jigsaw learning and curtis's work in more detail here but curtis thanks again so much for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to meet you and learning about yeah. your work and uh hopefully uh you know our our schedules will align sometime in the future we'll get you back on and, and continue this conversation sounds great david thanks so much i really appreciate the opportunity awesome thanks curtis and thank you to everyone for tuning into the principal's desk podcast we'll see you next time